welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I get the privilege of interviewing uh, my friend Jim Britz from Parkside Church in Oceanside, California. We've talked a little bit. He was at my house recently, and I wish I lived closer. I would probably want to be a part of this movement that's developing there. It's pretty exciting. So, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ralph. It's great great to be here. Really good to have you. Tell, tell us a little bit about I know where you're at in terms of multiplying microchurches and trying to move into network and in movement, but how did you get there? Where did you start and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, I, uh, I planted our church Parkside um, almost exactly seven years ago. And from day one, we had a heart for multiplication and, um, and it was going really well. And I, I was never going to be a church planner. I was in the middle in our park behind our house in the middle of the night. God had told me to go there. And uh, our lead pastor had asked us if I'd consider planning a church. And I said, no, I'm doing youth ministry for life. I'd done that for, for 15 years up to that point. And, and uh, that was the plan until I was 80, work with high school kids. And I heard an audible voice from God that night. Um, he said, Jim, I'm not asking you to leave youth ministry. I'm asking you to plant a church. So that's where the heart of Parkside came from. Uh, fast forward four years into that. So three years ago, and um, the church is going really well. And we'd, we'd actually been a part of planting four churches at that point and baptized a ton of people. And God wakes me up again in the middle of the night. And we, we have this two or three times a year, you know, where it just, it's just a part of my relationship with God. It just, it's time, time to go. I got to talk to you. And um, this wasn't audible, but you know, those where it's like, yeah. just like, like it was. Yeah. And um, God said, uh, this came out of nowhere. He said, I, I, I love the story of Parkside, but you've missed the whole point of what I told you to do. And I told you to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And you're not doing that. And I, uh, and I actually thought we were doing pretty well at making disciples, at least compared to all my other church planner buddies. And we, um, but that immediately, I've carried that for three years of like, I'm missing what God told me to do. And that led me on a journey of, uh, first of all, just reading a lot of books about disciple making and, um, and going, okay, we, this, this is it. This is what we have got to be about. This is, this is the standard of success. Um, and that led me to outside the country to, uh, what God's doing around the world and um, disciple making movements and that it looks so different than what we think of oftentimes of church here. And, and through that process, uh, it led me to go through a training called disciple making movements that's used all over the world. And uh, a guy named Chris Galanos, who's a pastor in Texas, who has a pretty crazy story. Uh, he was the, the trainer through it. And, um, and there are so many times in this training where it was just once a week going through Bible studies that uh, I was like, oh my goodness, how have I missed this my whole life? Uh, one of them was Matthew 9, um, you know, in 35 to 38, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord a harvest for, for more workers. And so I prayed that prayer many times. I just had never cut that Matthew 10 was a detailed description of what a worker is. Yeah. As I looked at it, I realized I look nothing like a worker that Jesus described, nor do I, did I ever reproduce somebody like that. Nor do I really even know anybody who lived that way, except if you're like on a missions trip. 
And so I would just say the answer to that question would be the last two years for me have been a course correction of learning what it means to be a worker and, uh, and studying um, man, from scripture what it means to make disciples to make disciples. And uh, it's been an unbelievable journey. Um, even this past week, we've been blown away by what, what God's up to. But I'm in such a different place than I was even two years ago. And so, I mean, you, you now you got everybody who's listening, you got them curious. Uh, what, what place are you in? Describe kind of your your view of, of, of where God has you and, and what he has you up to at the moment. Yeah, I would say as I went through this training and hearing from God, I felt like he, he told me, hey, do this or die trying. This, I, I need you to be obedient. And I thought, hey, our leadership board would be like, well, of course, we're about multiplication already. We got to do this. And, um, and it was kind of the exact opposite. <laughs> they were like, no, uh, no, we like what we're doing already. And I mean, great people. But so it was um, e- either I leave the church, which I was loving, or I need to do this on the side. And, um, and so I started training some people on the side. And um, it's, it's, if you look at Matthew 10 or Luke 10, you know, this idea of going out among the lost and looking for persons of peace. These are people that are uh, um, open to discovering truth about God, and they're not a Christian. And they've got friends and family in their life that would want to learn as well. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's probably not going to go, ever go to church but they would like to discover, you know, spiritual things. And so you start uh, building groups of people and you disciple the, that main person and then they uh, meet with others. And when I first heard that, I thought that doesn't exist. There's not people that out of nowhere, I just meet them. And all of a sudden they're like, giving me their phone number and saying, I'll gather some friends and family. If you'll meet with me, we'll do this. And then you'll see whole family groups come to Christ and get baptized together. Uh, but we started doing that. And um, I would say the first nine months, uh, me and a handful of people, we saw some stories that were okay, but it was a struggle and COVID happened and all that. And, and, uh, but then, um, just about a little over a year ago. Um, so we just said, okay, we're not going to let COVID stop us. We need to be obedient to what God's calling us to. And, uh, and we've just seen, so we went to a new neighborhood and seen story after story after it feels like we're living in the book of Acts. Um, and we've got a team of, um, it's about 15 people on my team that are living that out. And now currently our church Parkside is in the process of, of really going all in with DMM. So God did a work in our leadership board. Um, and as they heard the stories of what God was doing all over the place, they just said, we need to do this. So they went through the training and now we're all in and our hope would become January. We'd actually be multiple kind of micro churches. We call them in DMM language, generation zero churches, which are Christians that are trying to live out these principles. And um, so I lead a gen zero church on Sunday mornings at my house. And there's like the 15 of us in there. And we keep track of like how many spiritual conversations we have in a week. And on average, it's over 150, which is more than my Parkside ever had as, you know, a normal church, like all combined with everybody. Um, but it's just, there's just this uh, electricity and it's contagious, you know, that we're, we're choosing to live this way. Um, and then Sunday nights is when Parkside meets. And we're in the process of that becoming multiple Gen Zero churches where we'll all meet together for kids. Uh, ministry, but most of it will actually be in these smaller groups um, and, um, and trying to plant churches through that. So that's, that's a little bit where we're at. I could share some stories of what we've seen happen, but that's, that's what it looks like. now. We're going to get around to asking you to share some stories of what you've seen happen, but I want to back up in my thinking a little bit, uh, you know, in exponential, we've been talking a lot about this idea of two operating systems where you have vision that the Lord has put in your heart. You're the leader. 
and good godly people that you have to interface with aren't buying it. And so and rather than driving them either to buy it or driving them out the door to, to do something on the side, exactly what you've done. Uh, so you kind of operating, you know, the church as it is, while at the same time, you're, you're, you're op- doing this other operating system. Were, were there snags? How did that, you know, what would you say to somebody who's kind of gone, yeah, I think I need to go there? Because I think a, one of the problems that I see in, is I'm an old man is I'm, I'm seeing uh, my generation of people, you know, kind of baby boomers and some Gen Xers are now going, who stole my church? Because younger pastors are coming in and they got a whole different operating system. Yep. And so they blow away what was already there and use the assets, the financial assets, the, you know, maybe the building, whatever, to do a whole new thing. And it kind of leaves these people out in the cold. And yet you've managed to thread the needle. Uh, talk to us just a little bit about the kind of wisdom that it takes to thread the needle and the patience that, that had to be there. And, and you must have had a little bit of conflict as people are discovering what you're doing on the side. Absolutely. Yeah. And this has been, uh, I would say the number one question kind of, as I interact with other pastors who are maybe on this journey that they ask, that's a great question. Um, and I'd say, first of all, Hey, you, you've got to, have this on a convictional level that God's calling you to do this, you know, not that, Hey, and so for me, it was whether this works or not, this is what God's called me to do with the rest of my life. And uh, I, in the middle of all this, I hit 20 years of full-time ministry and it felt like it just gone by so quick. I thought God said, stop asking what you can accomplish this fall and start asking what you can accomplish in the next 20 years. So there's a patience there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause these things take a while. Um, and then uh, so as, as, and you listen to what God says, he may say, Hey, you need to leave your church right now. For me, it was just all these people had come to Christ at Parkside and I, I felt like ditching them just was not the loving thing to do. And so, uh, you know, as our board said, Hey, we're not moving this way, at least in a public way as a church. Um, I thought God said, Jim, will you just be obedient? Will you just do this? And, um, and so often I run into people that the moment that the board or staff say, we don't want to do this, they kind of feel like their option is either to quit or to not, do, not do it. Yeah. And I would just say, no, you, you kind of have control of a lot of things in your life. And I had heard someone say that when people get this disciple making becomes their hobby, like you, you just go, I want to go out and make disciples. That's just what I want to do for fun. Yeah. And so, uh, so, and I felt like if, if I can't convince people, you know, theologically and philosophically of this, um, well, then I, I better be able to at least convince them practically of like what, what we're actually seeing happen. And if I can't see that happen, well, I'm an idiot for trying to convince them. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, and I'd say part of it too, is it's easy to cast vision from the front, but movements usually happens when you cast vision from the back yeah. that you look for it's around one out of six people is an early adapter. And so finding the early adapters and uh, so five out of six people make decisions based on what's worked so far. One out of six make decisions based on uh, there's a problem. And it seems like what we're doing right now, isn't the solution. And so we got to figure out something new. And so I started casting vision and taking those people through the training. And it was the kind of the least likely people, people yeah. that I would not have originally have thought, but they, as they realized, man, God could use me to make disciples and plant churches. They just caught fire and they went from backseat churchgoers to like, you know, dangerous Christians. Um, and so, yeah, I would just say there, there's a piece of patience. And for me going on two rails. So 
I got the early adapters together and we said, we're going to live this out completely. And that's Sunday mornings for me right now. And then we're going to go on a slow process. Really, it's uh, our board said last February, all right, we're going this direction. And we said January is when we're going to, so really almost a year long process of us slowly adding things along. Like we now break into groups as part of our Sunday nights. We have a meal every Sunday night now because we're going, oh. we, need, we need more time together. So uh, tell, tell the, the question obviously is going to come up as soon as you say we have a meal every Sunday night because people are thinking logistics. So how many people are involved on Sunday night? Yeah, everybody who's involved, Parkside is about 100 maybe, maybe a little bit less on an average week. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we hired somebody uh, very part-time though to organize that. And, um, and then, so I teach much shorter and then we break into these groups, which will become Gen Zero Churches. And uh, we just said a message uh, delivered is far less powerful than a message discovered. Our goal is to learn, teach people discovery. And so I kind of set the table or whoever's teaching, and then they open up God's word and discover that together. Um, and then those groups, we just started in August. Every one of those groups prays together on Zoom. Uh-huh. We said, if you're part of our church, you, uh, you, you pray during the week. And we, so we even set it up where we said in August, it's 10 minutes a week that your group comes together. September, it just moved up to 20 minutes. And our goal is when we hit January, that every group, if you're part of our church, you pray for at least an hour in corporate prayer with, with others. Because around the world where there's movements, that's the first thing they tell you. And uh, in Acts 2, right, it says they're devoted to prayer. And we don't know what exactly that means. But if it's not an hour, it sure seems like that's, we're kind of making up what devotion means. And around the world, it's like two hours. So, uh, so yeah, so not everybody's getting it, but man, a lot more are. And we're going to take the whole church Sunday nights through the training um, in, uh, in starting in mid-October. Right now, we're doing a series on the kingdom of God, kind of just setting the stage. And I'm dripping stories and vision all over the place. They know where we're going. So I got all kind of questions. I mean, you're just pushing all my buttons and uh, the things that I sit around and dream about. And, and uh, I, I, honestly, Jim, in, in all the time I've been doing podcasts and all the stuff I do with Exponential and all the Hope Chapel stuff, um, things that I've experienced overseas, you're the first American guy that kind of checks a whole bunch of the boxes uh you know i've i've seen guys do one or two things but i i I, so i got some questions that are going to seem kind of mundane almost stupid but uh how how much time on a sunday night does a congregation spend uh singing together because i i have a frustration that we use the word uh we misuse the word worship that what we call worship is when we sing together and what I read in the Bible that's called worship is in Romans 12. And it's when I pre- present my life, my life, my body as a living sacrifice. Um, so you, 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 you're operating in, in a highly interactive yep. way. You're eating food. Uh, you're meeting in an off hour time, which I want to talk about in a little bit. Cause I've been, uh, we do Sunday night in Japan really well. And in, uh, you're the first American that I've ever seen embrace you know i know guys that do uh, i know one guy now that does wednesday night is sunday morning and uh mm-hmm. you're the first guy that you know and, and so we'll get into that but just just talk about the singing deal just a little bit yeah we i mean so for sunday mornings we don't sing at all, all right. uh just because it's a group of 15 but uh but we'd be open to it sunday nights we uh, our our worship leader is also one of our church planners 
um, that we're sending out. So we, we usually, about 15 minutes, the, the very first thing that we do, um, it's, it's way more low key than it used to be. And it's very interactive. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we start coming together 15 minutes and, and we're in a transition, you know, where we will spend more and more time in those groups. And, um, so yeah, so we're, so I would say we used to do maybe more like five songs. We're now closer to like three songs and what will replace a lot of my teaching will be stories. We've started to do that already. And that's for sure. Part of worship, right? Is, Hey, what happened this past week in terms of making disciples? So yeah, but about, about 15 minutes, maybe right now. Yeah, because I, I mean, my personal prejudice is that we have, we, we made, we've made what we called worship into a show. I, I've been in large groups that I'm not even sure I would call church. Um, you know, to me, uh, a, a, a church that's not really on mission isn't really a church. A church that doesn't uh, have community where they're talking to each other is, is an assembly. It's not a church. And, um, I've, I've been in some of these large groups where nobody's singing at all, except for the people up front. It's a, it's a, it's a mini rock concert. And, you know, a lot of times it's a bunch of 50 year old white people up there in skinny jeans. And that's a little bit frustrating to me. Uh, you know, the, 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 the wannabes. And so, yeah, that's always been an important issue to me. Uh, and, and I want to get into the meat and potatoes of, of disciple making and what goes on, but, I do want to, while we're on it, I, I want to hear why you utilize Sunday evening and how well that goes. Because what the pushback I always get, because here's my deal, is you don't have a place to meet. Uh, COVID locked down the community center, the public school. They're reluctant to open. Well, why don't you go to the Episcopal Church down the street and ask if you can rent it on Sunday afternoon and have a meal and you know use your fellowship hall and, and, and change church a little bit, because church is changing, uh, whether we like it or not. Uh, the interactive churches are going to survive, and those talking head churches are, are heading for trouble, unless you're Andy Stanley or somebody that really, you know, got them hopping. Um, uh, so the, but the pushback is always, well, people want to put their children to bed for school, and, you know, they're tired on Sunday. They don't want to give up their Sunday night. They like to watch TV. Uh, I hear all those things, and yet you're doing it. So, was there pushback? What? How did you manage to to move from a Sunday morning model to a Sunday evening model, or did you start that way? Yeah, no, we'd always we had two services going on Sunday mornings, and we'd met in schools for our first uh, five and a half years, and then because of COVID, we got kicked out of there. And I was already on the trek of disciple making movements before all COVID. But it sure felt like it. We actually, our, our theme for last year was Sabbath year. It felt like it was pretty prophetic than what happened with COVID. Uh, but uh, so then we had offices at a nearby church where we did midweek stuff. And we went to them and they said, hey, if you want to meet anytime, you know, after four on Sundays, you can have our, our, our place. And so we started meeting outside and, um, and we've continued to meet outside. We said we have the right name for it. We're Parkside. And we put a little bit of money into a shade sale and um, some AstroTurf. So it just looks, it feels like a wedding venue. It looks, it feels cool. Um, and, uh, and I thought it was a temporary move, but I've loved it. And definitely some people did not make the move. They said, you know what, church is Sundays. And I mean, we're, we're smaller than we were two years ago, uh, way smaller than we were, you know, three or four years ago. 
Um, but uh, but I felt like at the same time, so as we cared for every person, I've sat in the backyard of every single person in our church trying to convince them, hey, go on this journey. But uh, I just caught that Jesus was not so much into drawing crowds. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, hey, who are the people that are going to go? We're all in. We're going to go for it. Um, and one of the biggest passages for me was Acts 5, 13 and 14. It's right after Ananias and Sapphira, you know, get, get killed off. And then it says, um, there's all these miracles happening. And it says, no one else dared join them. Um, nevertheless, people join them every single day. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's going, what a contradiction. What is going on here? And I studied that a bunch. And it was this, no one else dared join them casually. Yeah. yeah people continued to fully surrender their lives to Christ. And I realized. I'd spent so much of my ministry time embracing people being casual, you know, Hey, do the best you can. Hey, we haven't seen you for three weeks, but it's just good to have you here. And Jesus didn't really do that. And that wasn't the early church either. It was saying, are we in, are we going to go for it? So I felt like if someone can't make the move from Sunday morning to, we meet at four 30 on Sunday nights, uh, they were definitely not going to make the journey of the rest of where we were going. And so, uh, um, so those that did have really embraced it and been a part of it. And, um, and, and yeah, let's say that it's at four 30, you know, so we're now we're out of there maybe by seven. Uh, it, it just feels more laid back. So we have, uh, um, like cornhole, you know, boards out there. Our, our goal would be that someone would come to Parkside and they would go at first glance, this is the most casual laid back church I've ever been a part of. And then as they got involved in it for more than a minute, they would go, this church takes more seriously, the great commission making disciples and I've ever experienced, which I think is Acts 2, right? It says, glad and sincere hearts. Yeah. And it says, Lord, add to their number daily, those who are being saved. It should be incredibly enjoyable and not stressed out, including for the people put on the service. Um, and at the same time, though, we should be intense because the mission is intense. Yeah. So I don't know if I, if I went all over the place with that, but, but Sunday nights have been great. And I, we have no desire to move. And we definitely are not desiring to start more services. Um, so it's, so it, it's, it's been a win for us. And if you're in Detroit, then yeah. a, a church gym or a church fellowship hall. And the advice I always give to people, because we do this so well in Japan, is if you're borrowing somebody else's church, don't borrow it on Saturday because you'll make it dirty and they'll get mad at you and kick you out. Use it Sunday afternoon or evening when yeah. they made it dirty and you're happy to be there renting the space. Uh, it it kind of works for everybody. I have a friend, um, he, he's uh, family immigrated from Russia when he was about five years old. And he took over a denominational church building as a Russian speaker and started a Russian church, oh, probably 10, 12 years ago. And then the Lord spoke to him that uh, I, I raised you up to speak to English-speaking people. And so he started an English service. So now they got two services in one building, two, basically two different churches. And now he's at the point where the English thing is, there's a couple of English services. He's hiring a guy from Russia to come and run the Russian language thing. But he's also, uh, if I remember correctly, he's, he's renting space to a Filipino group uh, that speaks Ilocano. Uh, 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 to a Japanese language church and to a Hispanic church. And they're using that building several different days of the week because there's nothing really sacred about Sunday. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to make an argument for the, for the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Adventists probably have the best argument <laughs> for that one. Yeah. But other than that, 
the Bible does say that every day is the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we need to, you know, explore some of these, some of these ideas that people are, are having. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.